Gabby. Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you today. Today we are launching into a new series. Um, we're calling it Life in the Spirit. It really comes out of this moment back in the fall when we did a, a, a series on the Trinity and we talked about the Father and the Son and then I gave a message on the Holy Spirit and instantly as I was preparing that message, I felt like the Lord was saying we need to spend more time um, with this third um, member of the Trinity and understand his important role in our lives as followers of Jesus and what it means to experience all that God has for us. Um, in a church like ours, an evangelical Bible church, the Spirit is sometimes kind of put on the sidelines a bit and not given the amount of attention or focus that he deserves or that he longs to have in our lives to help us be the kind of Jesus followers that God wants us to be. And so I just feel like uh, it's a chance for us to say, no, we want as a church to have all that the Spirit longs for us to have. And so this series is not a sort of doctrinal thesis about the Spirit. It's about how do we invite the Spirit into our lives? How do we give control of our lives to the Spirit? How do we experience this life with God that we were created to have. And so we're gonna be talking about that for six weeks. Uh, this morning, um, this, the message is really about three things. It's about the presence of God and the power of God and the potential of the Spirit-filled life for us. And so I wanna talk about that as we jump into our series uh, this morning. This is kind of our vision for what the Spirit-filled life can look like. And then in the subsequent, week, subsequent weeks, we'll get into some, some practical ways that we live that out. We're gonna start this morning in John chapter seven. If you have your Bible, grab it. Turn to John chapter 7. It's page 867 in the Pew Bibles. Um, and as you turn, I want to give you a little bit of context for this passage. It is the fall. It's late September, early October, and Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, for a major festival in the life of the Jewish community, a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles was a celebration when the Jewish people would remember this time in their history when they had just been freed from slavery in Egypt and they spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness, around the desert, living in these temporary portable structures called tabernacles. It's like the longest camping trip of all time. And some of you are thinking that would be absolutely the worst. Others of you are like me and you're thinking that would be the greatest because you you are a true Oregonian and you love to camp like I do. At any rate, I digress. Tabernacles celebrated and remembered this time when even though God's people were, were nomadic and they were without a home, how even during that turbulent time, God was with them. He tabernacled with them. He went camping with them and provided for them, and he literally dwelt in their midst. And so they gather to remember that they serve a God who dwells in their midst. And that's what this feast and this celebration is about. But because it's also late autumn, it was the time of the harvest, and Israel was most typically in a season of drought. The cisterns were low, and the springs were drying up, and the hills were becoming barren and parched. We have to remember that these people lived in sort of a glorified desert. And so another major theme of this festival became water. Water, water 
for them was one of the main ways they would see God's blessing and experience his presence with them. And so they would pray for water. They would pray for rain. And they would ask God, replenish us agriculturally as you replenish, replenish us spiritually. And so they pray, and they pray for rain and for water, and that's what's happening at this festival. They're praying for God's presence and blessing with them through, through, his, through his provision of water. And then Jesus and his disciples arrive on the scene, and we read this in John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus uses the word koilea here, and it's the word for belly. He literally says this. He says, rivers of living water will flow in their belly, down in the very center of who they are. In other words, if you are here and you can hear my voice and you are longing for something, if you feel empty or discouraged or dissatisfied, if this world that we live in and the promises that it makes have come up short for you, if there is a nagging discontent in your soul because success or beauty or achievement or religion or wealth or materialism or the American dream simply has not delivered what it promised, Jesus says, I have come to offer something that will satisfy. And not just for a moment, not just on a surface level, but down in the very center of your being, deep in your belly. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, down in their belly. By this, he meant the Spirit. By this he meant the Spirit. Where will the rivers of living water come from? Where will this deep, intense satisfaction through the presence of God deep in your belly come from? It will come from the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The words of Jesus, the promise of Jesus. You see, he says, there is this life. This life of fullness and purpose and meaning and deep connection with God that we were all created to have. And Jesus is talking about that life here. And he says, and it's available to you and it's available to me and it's available through the Holy Spirit. God's presence, his dwelling in and amongst us is offered through the Spirit. And friends, is there anything our souls long for and need more than the presence of our heavenly Father? I would argue no. Gordon Fee, who is a brilliant teacher and scholar on the Holy Spirit, he says this. This is a wonderfully amazing quote. It's a little long, but listen, it's so rich. He says, presence is a delicious word because it points to one of our truly great gifts. Nothing else can take the place of presence. Not gifts, not telephone calls, not pictures, not mementos, nothing. Ask the person who has lost a lifelong mate what they miss most, and the answer is inevitably 
presence. When we are ill, we don't need soothing words nearly as much as we need loved ones to be present. He says, God has made us this way in his own image because he himself is a personal, relational being. And the great problem with the fall was that we lost not only our vision of God, but also our relationship with God. And thus no longer knew his abiding presence. The presence that we experienced, that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden is lost to us because of sin. But then he closes with this statement. The coming of Jesus and the Spirit changed all of this forever. The presence of our Heavenly Father, the presence of God with us can now be experienced once more in the same way it was experienced in the garden through the Holy Spirit. How do we experience God's presence with us? The scriptures say it time and time and time again. It is through the Holy Spirit. You ever experienced presence, the comfort of presence? When I first became the head pastor of a church, I was a, a very wise and old, 34 years old. And I was in way over my head and I was, you know, it was kind of a fake it to make it moment, but every week I was absolutely terrified. And the church where I was serving had an eight o'clock service that was traditional and it was all the older folks. And I wear a suit and tie every week. I know some of you find that hard to believe, but it's true. And, uh, and I would sit in the front row at eight o'clock and look at all these sort of seasoned saints waiting to hear my sermon. And it was utterly terrifying and I would sit in the front row and I'd be there by myself and most Sundays a little bit after the service had started because he tended to run a bit late my good friend one of the elders um, his name was Chris and he would come in he would walk down the front he would sit right next to me he'd say I just came to be he'd say I just came to be with you I just wanted you to know that you weren't alone up here. And there was something about him just sitting there next to me that made me feel better. Not so alone. And he couldn't preach for me, and he didn't help me, and didn't polish up my sermon real quick in the pew before I had to preach. He was just there. And God says, you know what? I'll just be there. I will just be with you. That's my promise. I will be there in and through my spirit. You see, the friends, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is not just that he died and rose so that you can go to heaven when you die. That is true and that is good news, but it's not all the good news. The gospel is that the power of sin that has separated us from God has now been defeated because of Jesus and because of his death and resurrection. The with God life that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden is available to you and me once more. It's available now. It's available forever. It's available eternally. You can have eternal life with God and that life starts now. The with God, life of Jesus is available now through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news? That's the good news, you see. The Holy Spirit is not just extra credit. This is not an extra credit series. There's not like a Jesus gold package where you can kind of sign up and you can get God after you die and a ticket to heaven but if you want to upgrade to the platinum deal and pay a little more if you really want to get serious and if you're an overachiever you can enjoy God's presence right now through the Holy Spirit 
No, that's not how it works. Jesus and the Spirit are a package deal. When you get Jesus, you get the Spirit. You can have the with God life now and forever through him. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. The disciples, by the way, have been with Jesus. They've walked with him. They've learned from him. They've relied on him. They've leaned on him. And now they are worried. They are getting concerned about his departure because he is talking about it. And here is what Jesus says to them. He's reassuring them that they will not be alone. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, another partner, another person to be with you, to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. You see, that's presence language. He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You will not be left to sort of navigate this world and advance the kingdom and live the Christian life alone. Jesus says, I will be as close to you as I have ever been through the person of the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that word advocate is the word parakletos. It means, it means helper, advocate. It means counselor. And counselor is a great word because what's a counselor do? A counselor just walks with you through the challenges and problems and struggles that you face. And Jesus says, there's going to be a counselor who's going to be with you in every single challenge that you face in this world. The spirit of God that will be poured out on you when I leave. But there's more. The presence of God comes, but it comes with the power of God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is on page 882, again, for the Pew Bible folks. Jesus has risen now. Now he's already been to the cross. He's died. He's gone to the tomb for three days. He's risen to new life. He's been around his disciples, and he's about to leave once more. He's about to ascend into heaven and be at the right hand of the Father. And he's turning over at this moment the advancement of the kingdom to his disciples. He's saying the mission is now with you. He spent three years training them, preparing them for this moment, and he said things to them like, go and make disciples. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But in this seemingly crucial moment when you might expect Jesus to rally his followers to action, he actually says something very surprising. He doesn't say go. He doesn't say trust. He doesn't say act. He doesn't say move. He says, wait. Stop, pause, hold up, wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit later in this series, but ultimately Jesus says you'll get completely saturated and submerged with the presence and power of the Spirit of God. You see, the clear message of Jesus is this. Don't even think about trying to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this on your own. To try to attempt it is futile and foolish. He says, wait. And then down in verse 8, we're told what they're waiting for. He says, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Friends, if there was one word most often associated with the ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst the human race and amongst God's people, it is this word, power. The Holy Spirit is the power to be the person that God longs for you to be. The Holy Spirit is the power to live the Christian life that you were created for. The Greek word here for power is the, is the word dunamis. And it's where we get our word dynamite. It means ability, strength, might, force. Jesus says, I am sending you the Holy Spirit and he is going to give you the ability and the strength and the might and the power to do what you cannot do on your own. To be the people you can't be on your own. To live the life you can't live on your own. To advance the kingdom in a way that you will never be able to do in your own strength. You see, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father. But wait in Jerusalem and you will receive further instructions. The instruction manual is coming. Or additional key doctrinal information that will be so essential to your success in this world. He doesn't say, you know, just hold up, just wait a bit, and you'll find a do-it-yourself church starter kit coming soon in the mail, FedEx. No. Here's what he says. He says, you think these last three years have been something you think you've seen God do amazing, miraculous, wonderful things in these last three years? You ain't seen nothing yet. Fasten your seatbelts because the Holy Spirit is coming, and when that happens, you are going to receive power. Friends, do you ever feel like you just need that power? Like as hard as you try, you simply can't seem to be the person that you're supposed to be. Like no matter what you do, you just continue to fail. Like you're just, you aren't accomplishing the kinds of things for God and his kingdom that you wish you were. You read the scriptures, you read about these people who did life with God and who God worked in and through their lives in an amazing way. And you read about the victory they had and how the kingdom advanced and you think, that is not my experience. I don't have that kind of power. I haven't experienced that kind of power in my life. Or maybe you even look at the church the community of people following God together, and you think, is this all there is? Is this all there is to the church? Just sermons and songs and some acts of service? Where's the power? Where's the transformation? Where's the activity? Where's the mighty works of God in this world through his people? Where's that happening? Is this all there is? Friends, if you felt that way, if you've ever felt that way about church, if you've ever felt that way about your pastor's sermons, I want to suggest to you this morning that what we lack is maybe an intentional reliance on and relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. Billy Graham, have you heard of him? He's my second favorite world evangelist, Luis. He said this toward the end of his life. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all they expected, and they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. 
Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. And listen to this. The desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, after a lifetime of watching the church around the world, Billy Graham says, the thing we need more than anything else in the church is the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul has a similar thing to say. He says it time and time again, but he he prays this for the church in Ephesus. I think it's his prayer for the church everywhere around the world. He says, I pray that out of his, that's Jesus, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That deep down in your soul, the strength and power of God is what is fueling your life in this world. You see, that's God's desire. That's his hope, that's his dream, that's what he longs for, that you might be strengthened in your inner being, in the absolute vital core of who you are, that there would be power, not your own power, not the power of trying harder or following the rules better, but power that comes from heaven, power that comes from God himself through his spirit in you, the power to resist sin, the power to face trials, the power to heal and restore in this broken world and to advance the kingdom. The power to do the very things that Jesus himself did. And that's what I want to talk about as we close the message this morning. We've talked about the Holy Spirit as the presence of God and how the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And now I want to talk about the potential of the Holy Spirit life. What is the potential of a human life lived under full submission to the Holy Spirit? If you and I, if we as a church family embrace the with God, power-packed life of living water, who would we be? Who could we become? And I want to reflect on this issue with you tonight, by, or this, 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 uh, this morning, by thinking about the role that the Holy Spirit played in the life of Jesus himself. Because Jesus was a real human being. Jesus, this is what the scriptures say, he was fully God and fully man. He was 100% God and 100% human. He wasn't half and half. There was no 70, 30, 80, 20, no mix. 100% God, 100% man. And historically, there have been kind of two main fallacies about Jesus. The most prominent one in our world, the most prominent and common question about Jesus in this sort of modern era that we live in is this. Was Jesus really God? You know, he may have been a great man. Certainly he was a wonderful teacher. Certainly he inspired people to live better lives. But was that all he was? A very gifted and inspired human. That's heresy number one, the, the false idea about Jesus number one, that he was, he was certainly a man a gifted man, but he was not really God. But that was not the actual earliest question about Jesus. In the first century, the big question was the exact opposite. It was, we know Jesus was God. We saw the stuff he did. We experienced the miracles and the works and the wonders and the power. That guy was God. The big question in the first century was, was he truly human? You know, the idea was that for a person to do the kind of things that Jesus did, they couldn't be human. They had to be God. 
And this is actually a heresy called docetism. It's, it's from the Greek word dokeho, which means to seem, to seem. And the idea is that even though Jesus looked human, seemed human, it was just a disguise. He was actually God just pretending to be human. Let me give you a 20th century version of docetism. It's this guy right here. Superman. Superman is a guy who pretended to be human. He looked human, but in fact, he was not human. If you remember, he was a strange creature from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman is not human. Sure, he disguised himself as a lowly news reporter named Clark Kent. He pretended to be one of us, but he was never really one of us. Friends, this is not the story of Jesus. The Bible says he was fully God, but he was also fully human. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Jesus became like us in every way. And not only that, but he faced temptation just like we do. All the human temptations that you and I are subject to, Jesus was subject to as well, which is really amazing when you think about it. When you think about the things you've been tempted with. Arrogance, pride, laziness, greed, bitterness, gossip, lust, The Bible says Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He's faced every single one of those temptations, and yet he was without sin. He faced them all, and he never sinned. Isn't that amazing? And the question becomes, how did he do it? How did he live a sinless life? Life when he was fully human and faced all those sins. Furthermore, when you read about the life of Jesus in the Bible, it's filled with amazing acts. We call them miracles. All these miracles, and typically what we say is, Jesus did all these miracles just to prove that he was God. And certainly there, there, is, there is some truth to that. He walks on water, and he multiplies food to feed people, and he heals the lame, and he gives sight to the blind, and he raises the dead, and he shows amazing patience and love and grace and mercy and strength. I don't know if you have read the Gospels lately, but they are chocked full of Jesus just doing absolutely phenomenal things. And our answer to that, our answer to this question typically goes something like this. Well, of course Jesus was able to do those things. Why? Because he's God. If I was God, I would do those things as well. But is that what the Bible teaches about Jesus? Actually, what the Bible says is that in becoming human, Jesus set aside his God powers, for lack of a better word. He laid down his God powers. He continued to be fully God, but he laid down his God powers. It says this, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Not pretend, not pretending to be human. He became fully human. He lays down his God powers. Let me give you some examples. This will stretch your mind a little bit this morning and will make sense for us in just a moment. God is omnipresent, which means what? He's everywhere, right? He's everywhere at once. God can be here with us. He can be in the Philippines. He can be in China in the middle of the night. He is even hanging out in California. Like he's all over the place, all at the same time. 
He's omnipresent. Here's the question. Here it is. It's a God power to be omnipresent, right? Was Jesus omnipresent? No, it's not a trick question. He was in a body. He entered the time-space continuum so he could only be one place at a time. He was either in Nazareth or in Jerusalem. He was either in Judea or he was up in Galilee. But he was only one place at a time. He was not omnipresent. That seems fairly obvious, right? Easy one. Let's make it a little more difficult. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. Wrap your mind around that. It's kind of scary when you think about it for just a minute. That means he knows everything about you, everything you've thought, everything you've done, all your mixed motives. He knows it all. Again, don't get terrified. He's omniscient. Was Jesus omniscient? Hmm, now you're wondering where this is going, aren't you? Well, according to the Bible, if you, if you read the Bible... The answer is no. Jesus meets people all the time and he asks questions. You know, why are you here? How long has he been like this? How long has he been sick? And you know, sometimes Jesus certainly asks questions to, to get us to answer. You know, he, he seems to know the answer and we'll talk more about that as we get into the series, but he seems to know the answer. So he's just answering, asking questions to sort of get us thinking. But other times Jesus really seems to need some information Here's another, here's another biblical fact. It says in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke that Jesus, when he was a young man, that he grew in what? Wisdom and stature. So he gets wiser, which means he wasn't fully wise at the beginning, right? Here's another uh, point from the scriptures. Near kind of the end of his time on earth, Jesus is talking about uh, the end of the world, when he will come again, his second coming, and he tells his disciples that he does not know the day or the hour. He says, only the Father knows. They say, when is this going to happen? Mm, don't know. Only the Father knows. So, back to the original question. Does Jesus know everything? Is he omniscient? He's not. He's laid down his omniscience when he became human. Here's one more. God is omnipotent. Again, a fancy word for the fact that he's all-powerful. God never runs out of energy or gets tired. And he has an endless supply of power available to him. He never has to like put the car in neutral and coast down the hills because the gas tank light is on and you waited too long to fill up with gas like I did yesterday. I made it. It's a good thing. Is Jesus omnipotent? Wow, again, man, you feel heretical saying it right now. I can tell you're nervous. I can tell you are. No, in the Gospels, he constantly gets hungry, he gets thirsty, he gets tired often, and then in the end, what happens to Jesus? He dies. Is there anything more human than that? So we can't say that Jesus lived the life he lived simply because he was God right? Jesus did all these cool things because he was God. That's the way he did all these miracles. No, he has laid down his God power. So how does he do it? Here's the point. When we read about Jesus, we read that at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. We read in Luke 4 that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. 
You see, we're learning that Jesus submits to the leadership and guidance of the Spirit in his life time and time and time and time again. We're told that he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. His ministry, his life is going to be led by the power of the Spirit. As his ministry kicks off, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown. Remember the scene? He walks into the synagogue to teach. They hand him the scroll. He grabs it. What does he say? He says, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How does all that happen? It happens through the powerful anointing of the spirit. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And to be anointed, friends, is to be set apart and empowered by God's spirit for God's purposes. In the Old Testament, people would be anointed. They'd be set apart, anointed by God's spirit for God's purposes. Kind of the physical act that went along with a spiritual anointing was what they would pour oil over someone's head. They'd say, you've been anointed by God. And they kind of hope that it stuck. They'd hope that the person truly was not just anointed with oil, but with the spirit of God. We're told that Jesus is the Christ. We call him Jesus Christ, right? But Christ is not his last name. It's the title for the one who would come who would have the full anointing of God's spirit. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the one who has the full and complete anointing of the spirit of God on him. You see, time and time and time again, this is what we discover. The secret to Jesus' power is not simply that he was God, he's not just pulling out the God card, is that he lived in utter reliance on and partnership with the spirit. Jesus' whole life was an adventure with the Spirit. Every moment, every day was partnership between Jesus and the Spirit that had anointed him. He was conceived by the Spirit, baptized by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He moved into his ministry with the power of the Spirit. Peter, kind of looking back at the life of Jesus, you know, Peter was there. He had like a front row seat for this whole thing. And in in the book of Acts, chapter 10, he looks back at the life of Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And so where does Jesus in that passage get his power to heal? From the Spirit of God on him. Friends, listen to this. This is amazing. Jesus is our picture of what a human life fully surrendered to the Spirit of God can be. Do you want to know how you could live, what your life could look like if you would fully and completely surrender to the power of the Spirit of God in your life? You would look like Jesus. You would do the things that Jesus did. And here's where it gets cool. Because the Bible's teaching on this business of anointing does not end with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now it is God who makes both us and you, talking here about the church, believers in Jesus, us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He poured out his spirit on us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts. He anointed us. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what the scriptures say. You are the Lord's anointed. 
You have been anointed with the presence and power of God through his spirit. God has anointed you and set his spirit in your heart. You have the same spirit of power that Jesus had. You know, our mission statement here as a church the thing that we say we're all about. Here's what we are all about. Here's the mission that we are on together as a church. It's what? Becoming like Jesus and making him known. Now, the first part of that, is that, is that just a pipe dream? Is that like becoming like Jesus? Wait, I can never become like Jesus. He was God. I can never be like Jesus. Is it, do we just put it up there to frustrate you, to make you feel like a slacker, to remind you how worthless and terrible you are? No. Right, infused right into the very center of our mission statement is this. We desperately need the spirit of God to accomplish the mission of God in this world as his people. Without the spirit of God, that mission statement is unattainable. It is only, we can only become like Jesus when the spirit of God has empowered us to become like him. This is why when Jesus talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit for his followers. He says this. He says, the Holy Spirit's coming. Let me tell you about it. He, John 14, very truly I tell you. In other words, like, this is important. Listen up. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. What's Jesus been doing? He's been walking on water and multiplying food and healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and raising the dead. He's been doing crazy, amazing stuff for the kingdom and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Because Jesus leaves, he sends the Spirit, and because we have the Spirit, we can do even greater things, it says. Now, that's a confusing thing because I don't know how it gets much greater than raising the dead. Like, I don't know how we do greater things. There's a lot of kind of debate and scholarship about this, but here's, here's what I do know. If the Spirit of God that was poured out and empowered Jesus to do amazing things was poured out on every single one of us, all of God's, all of Christ's followers around the globe, there'd be a lot of amazing stuff going on in a lot of different places. And now all of a sudden this verse begins to make some sense. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father because the Holy Spirit is coming because you are going to be anointed with the presence and power of God. In other words, friends, that same spirit that anointed Jesus, that empowered him, that enabled him to live the amazing life he lived is available to you and me. It's available to his church. And yet, and yet we settle for something so much less, don't we? You know what I think we settle for? I think we settle for religion. I, I think this is maybe most tempting to those of us who find ourselves in a Bible church and the Bible is a beautiful thing the Bible was empowered and written through the power of the Spirit and it's supposed to propel us into a life with the Spirit but so often I think we settle for just reading the book and following the rules just read the book and follow the rules. Just show up to church and read the book and follow the rules. Just obey. Just try in other words and live the Christian life in your own strength just do it on your own. Kind of have God over here and believe the right stuff and say the right stuff. But take the power of the Holy Spirit that you've been offered and just set him aside and just do it on your own. So often for us, the Christian life becomes read the book and follow the rules. And I believe the Bible itself says no. 
If anything, friends, this book is the story of people desperate for something beyond rules and religion. It's the story of how rules and religion continued to fail time and time again. It's the story of individuals and communities that could not live for God on their own, but desperately needed the life-giving empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work in and through their lives. And when they did, when they surrendered, when they walked in the anointing of the Spirit, God did amazing things. And the message of this book is that same life in the Spirit is available to you and me. And so the question for us this morning is, do we want something more? Do we want something with more of God's presence, with more of his power? And when I say more, I know that there's this sense that the Holy Spirit is an it, that it's this force that I'm trying to get more of so I can do more cool stuff and impress all my church friends. This is not what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so when we say more of the Holy Spirit, what we're really saying is more relationship, more connection, more intimacy, more surrender, more of God's work flowing in and through us so that God can do what only he can do in our lives and in this world through our community. Do you want more? Are you thirsty for more living water today? Because here's the thing with God. There's always more available. He's always got more to offer. He's always got more that he wants to give you. But will you surrender? Will you receive? Will you walk? Will you step? Will you partner with the Spirit? The rest of this series is going to be a blast. We're going to talk about freedom and the Spirit against the flesh. We're going to talk about listening to the Spirit and prayer and hearing God's voice. We're going to talk about what it means to worship in the Spirit. We're going to talk about being filled with and baptized by and not quenching the Spirit. We're going to talk about what that looks like and what it means for us in a practical way. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the unity of the church and how God does His thing when we dive in and use our Spirit gifts together for his glory. It's going to be an amazing series, but, but it's only going to be a great series if your posture is, is this posture. God, I'm thirsty. I want the living water. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to let go and lay down control and discover what you have for me. Not my power, your power. And so this morning, as we close... Just one takeaway today. Will you just tell God that you're thirsty? Will you just say, God, I want to step into the life that you have for me and your spirit. I want your presence. I want your power. I want to move towards the potential I have as an anointed spirit-filled follower of yours. And maybe for you today, that first step is just Believing, Jesus says, whoever believes in me. Maybe, that, maybe that's the first step for you today. Maybe you've never declared your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus Christ as the one, as the Christ, the Messiah, the one who came fully God, fully man to die and rise so that you can be offered this life with God that he longs to give you. Maybe today you just need to say, today's the day I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe for you today, you've been here a long time. You've been sitting in these pews forever and you've been tempted to think there's got to be more. And I 
I'm here to tell you today. The scriptures are here to tell you today. Jesus is here, here to tell you today. There is more in the spirit. Let's take that journey together. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna give you a few minutes to just spend some time with God and make some declarations and some decisions about where you will let him take you in and through this series. Father, this morning we give you praise and thanks. We thank you for your son who came to defeat sin and death, who came to reunite us with you, Lord, and your spirit and your presence. We thank you for the power. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to and aren't left to walk in this world in our own strength. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come to take control, to lead, to guide, to mold, to change, to do the work that you need to do in our lives so that we can experience more of your presence, more of your power, more of the anointing you have for us as a church. Come Lord and convict sin and pull us into using our gifts. Help us learn how to walk with you and step with you. Help us learn how to not offend you and quench your spirit, Lord. Help us, teach us what we need to know as a church that we might be more filled today. That's our prayer, Lord. Just a prayer that says we need you. We need you. We love you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.